Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. Hello. Um, so a couple years ago, my brother and I went on a hike. Um, we are from the Midwest, so we're used to hikes in flat, flatter terrain in here. Um, so if you could show the first slide. So this is us. We're about to set in on our hike. Let me try this side. So this is us. We're starting on our hike. Um, we are excited. Um, I have, I'm a novice hiker, and I don't know much about hiking. But I, and I also have a bad ankle. I broke my ankle uh, a few years back, so I can't do like really strenuous stuff because um, it still hurts a lot and my knee hurts because of it. But we decided, we just wanted to get out of the city, kind of explore a little bit, um, go somewhere we hadn't been and be surrounded by the beauty of nature and spend a day with each other. And so my roommate had told, told us about Lake 22 and she said, that she had taken um, some of her friends, who are also from the Midwest, and novice hikers, and about the same ability level to this, this trail, and that it was, it was beautiful and it was a great hike. So we decided to go. Um, I recruited my brother and we set out. Um, and, you know, I, I prepared a little bit. I read online about the hike. And um, <laughs> so I read something like this, you know, it's a beautiful hike. Kind of the paths start out gently enough on a dirt staircase through the rainforest, sounds lovely. Um, and then kind of continues on. Here the trail gets steeper with more rocks and some creaky, creek crossings, gentle but persist, see the word gentle, but persistent switchbacks lead to a long talus slope with a wall of Lake 22 looming above, seeming insurmountable. The talus um, is jumbled shark, sharp rocks, but nav it's navigatable or navigable, whatever. Um, so I read this, I thought, great, this is gonna be a good hike for us. Um, it even, I even read somewhere that people took their kids on this hike, so you know, if kids can go on this hike, I can go on this hike. It was a beautiful, so we arrived. Um, it was a beautiful summer day. We begin our trek through the rainforest. Um, and, you know, the, the sunshine coming through the canopies and, illuminating the waterfalls. It was really beautiful and enjoyable. Um, There's a nice breeze going through the air. You can smell the ferns and the moss and hear the trickle of the water going over the rocks. Um, after a while though, we, we, we'd been going for a while and we wondered how, how long is, I mean, I think it was a seven mile loop trail, so how long does it take to climb 15,000 feet, four miles up? Um, so we begin to kind of wonder. Um, and, you know, but it felt good. It felt good to be outside. It felt good to be removing our bodies. I could, um, and just being out in nature. And I could start to feel my ankle, you know, it was a little more strenuous than I was used to uh, walking, even though there are hills in Seattle. They're not quite like this. Um, but overall, we were enjoying ourselves. And then we come to the talus slopes. So like I said, I 
am a novice hiker. So when I skimmed through the description before, I did not know what a talus slope meant. Um, and maybe you don't either. So if you don't know what a talus slope is, let me show you. This, this is a talus slope. <laughs> The definition, which I looked up later, <laughs> is a slope formed especially by an accumulation of rock debris, rock debris at the base of a cliff. Um, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant before I got there. <laughs> and we got to this, and we said, oh, this must be the talus slope. <laughs> um, so basically, what I didn't know was that after seven, eight, nine hundred feet of climbing through rainforest, um, you know, when I'm already fairly tired and sore, is that I'd need to climb a long pile of loose rocks on the side of a steep slope. Um, or cliff is kind of what it looked like. Um, my formerly broken ankle twisted and turned as the rocks shifted below my feet and the sun beat down on us because at this point we're starting to get out of the rainforest and it's a bright sunny day um, and I am finished so I have very fair skin so we lathered sunscreen on but we kind of continued to go up we um, we slowly covered this steep loose rocky terrain that went on it was a long talus slope it was not a short one <laughs> it went back and forth multiple times um, and the trail kept going. Uh, after we made it through that, we said, surely the lake at the top, the promised beautiful reflective lake at the top of this hike is very close because we've made it through the rainforest and this talus slope and surely we're almost there. Um, and it kept going and going. <laughs> beautiful, amazing. Um, but at this point, we're starting to realize that we were ill-prepared for this trip. Um, I, had brought in, I had brought two water bottles. My brother had brought none, so I was letting him use mine. He had brought no food, so I was sharing the little snacks that I brought. Um, and we were definitely tired. My um, ankle was really sore at this point. My knee that overcompensates for my bad ankle was really sore. So we were, there was many times where we thought, okay, do we keep going? It just keeps going and going and going. Do we keep going and going or do we head back? Um, is this beyond what we're capable of doing? And, um, and we were finding out as people from the Midwest that a Pacific Northwest hike is very different. <laughs> and when we were finding out what it meant to climb 1,500 feet in about the span of four miles, um, Finally, we made it to the top. This is us at Lake 22. Um, and we were very proud of ourselves, kind of filled with relief and uh, satisfaction. We kind of sat down by the lake, walked around it a little bit, um, and just enjoyed the views. Um, and then came the hard part, as if it wasn't already hard enough, was going back down. Because now we know how long it is, and we know what we're facing. and we're also really, I'm really sore, I can't speak for him, but I was really sore, my ankle was hurting, it's kind of shaky. Um, and, but, but we had to get back to our car, we had to go down. So, I, um, so we went down, we made our way down, 
we're admiring kind of the beauty of the mountains um, as we went down, had amazing views, but also acknowledging that um, feeling the wear and the tear on our, our bodies, knowing that we had a long way to go. Um, I was having to, to hold on to my brother because my ankle was really shaky and my knee hurt. And so when there were steps or during the talus slope part, I was basically like holding on to him and using him as my walking sticks because I didn't have any of those. Um, and we, we eventually made it down. We made it home. Um, that night I went to bed exhausted and in pain. Um, my foot kept me up most of the night because it was cramping. Um, but I also felt exhilarated and full of life and joy, and it was, it was a and satisfaction. Um, and I tell you this story because in many ways it feels like a metaphor for me for what the, our series on the Lord's Prayer has felt like to me. Um, when we began this venture of the Lord's Prayer, um, I approached this prayer with expectation of kind of a meaningful journey. I, I thought I might be challenged a little bit in, in prayer, in, in my faith. And um, I mean, the Lord's Prayer is that I've grown up in church and it was something that was very familiar to me. And so it felt like a familiar prayer, a, a good prayer to kind of come to God uh, with our needs and ask God to bring um, God's kingdom and God's ways into our or reality here on earth. And so, in many ways, I pictured something like this when, when I approached the series on the Lord's Prayer. I thought it was going to be nice and kind of calm and, and challenging a little bit, but um, fairly easy, not too challenging. And what I found out is that I also got this. <laughs> um, in, our, in our journey through the Lord's Prayer, um, I got challenged a lot, hard, a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, I didn't know that when we began this journey through the Lord's Prayer that I would encounter slippery rocks and talus slopes. I didn't know that the, the path that this prayer takes um, would bring me into an encounter with my pain and that that pain might linger. I didn't know that it would ask me to face my vulnerability, ask me to face my limitations and my heartache and my pain. I didn't realize that the Lord's Prayer would ask me to surrender and to trust in the midst of unknown. I didn't know that praying the Lord's Prayer would have me acknowledge my needs and expose them to other people and to God. And then to trust that, that they would approach me with love and care. I didn't know that we would be invited into to, um, to let go of the ways that people have wronged us through, and, and experience healing through forgiveness. Just like my hike, um, there were many times in the course of this, these few weeks where I said, no thanks, I really don't want that truth that's being spoken. Um, Maybe I'll just kind of quit. Maybe, maybe I don't want this. Um, the Lord's Prayer, it felt like it was too much, too difficult, too challenging, too painful, too vulnerable. And you see, this, this prayer that Jesus teaches, um, his disciples teaches us to pray, 
It's not a paved path. It's not, it's not a walk around Green Lake, a nice two and a half mile jaunt. Um, it's, not, it's not even a hike down to the water at Discovery Park um, or Carkeek Park. Um, it's, it's a Pacific Northwest moderate hike. <laughs> um, it, is, it is a hike complete with sun and stairs and inclines and mountains and waterfalls and elevation gain. It is a hike complete with slippery rocks and wooden bridges, talus slopes, pain, and oh, so much beauty and goodness. Um, so as we walk through and cover the train of the Lord's Prayer, I have been struck by what a daring, bold, hopeful, difficult, challenging, risky, and utterly vulnerable prayer this is. We have prayed this prayer, our Father in heaven, praying we are united as one under our Father. We have prayed hallowed be your name, and been challenged to rest and revel in the character of the one who unites us. We have prayed your kingdom come and entered lament that brings us into our vulnerability and hope as a people. We have prayed your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, surrendering to the will of God in the face of things that we don't understand, that we don't like, that we don't want, that we don't know what to do with. We have prayed, give us this day our daily bread, trusting God to provide out of a character of love. And we have prayed, and forgive us not our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. Which is to experience the mercy and the freedom of forgiveness as we proactively forgive others, those who have wronged us, as we forgive ourselves, as we forgive God. These are not easy prayers to pray. Praying for unity, for being one, especially in the current cultural climate, often feels impossible, pointless, and difficult. Pausing to revel in the character of God when we are faced with daily, our daily routines, faced with our responsibilities, and our demanding schedules allowing ourselves to sit and experience our vulnerability through prayers of lament and hope is not usually on the top of our to-do list. In fact, usually we try to avoid lament and vulnerability because it doesn't feel nice. <laughs> um, seeking and surrendering to the will of God as we face death, sickness, struggle, heartache and loss, betrayal, confusion, abuse, neglect, Anger, frustration, is not an easy task. And praying and believing that God sees our needs and approaches us with love and a tenderness and a desire to meet those needs is not easy after years of unmet longings. And, and struggles, abuse, and neglect. And proactively forgiving those that have hurt or wounded us beyond difficult um, is beyond difficult and at times near impossible. As we've explored this prayer that provokes us to change, to lament, to vulnerability, to hope, to love, to trust, we found out that it's a challenging prayer. 
And yet, just as my hike was more difficult than I imagined, to pray the Lord's Prayer is also life-giving and 100% worth it. So this brings us to the next part of um, the Lord's Prayer. It is in some, the oldest manuscripts, in some manuscripts, it is the last portion, it is the last phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And it is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. After praying this bold and vulnerable prayer, Jesus ends it with this peculiar phrase. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. At first, I was, I, I was like, why? Why does Jesus end the prayer this way? I was troubled by this phrase. Um, it, was, it filled me with a lot of questions. Um, like, is God, um, if we're asking God to lead us not into temptation, does it mean that God sometimes leads us into, into temptation? That's hard to say. Um, is, it God, is God a God who tests us? Is God the one that takes us into our temptations? I started to ask, what is temptation exactly? Is, if we're asking God not to lead us into temptation and instead save us from evil, uh, that implies that we are tempted to do evil ourselves, that we are drawn towards evil ways in the first place. And why do we desire evil? Um, how do we know if a particular desire is good or if it's a temptation that will lead us into evil? Are, are all desires bad? What is evil? It, what's its source? Where does it come from? Um, does it come from God, from Satan, from humanity, from some evil source that we don't have a name for? Um, and then is God capable of delivering us from evil? What does that look like? How does God get us out of harm's way? If you don't know yet and you're familiar with Enneagram, I am a five, so I am full of questions. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I approach this this. Um, phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, with just a bunch of questions. What, what is this? What does this mean? Why would God end this bold and vulnerable prayer with these words? Um, and the more I have thought about it and looked at it and looked at it in relationship to the whole prayer and um, in the context of other passages in the Bible that have a similar plea, I've come to believe that it is a beautiful cry for help to live out the realities of the rest of the prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we're asking God's heart, God's mind, God's ways to become a reality on this earth, in our lives, in our communities, in our relationships. And we're exposing our need and trusting God to meet those needs with love and care and generosity. We're asking to experience power and the freedom of forgiveness as we forgive and receive forgiveness. So in this statement, um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we are acknowledging that no matter how much we want those things to be a reality, we are tempted to, do, tempted to and do work against them. Not necessarily malicious, maliciously or intentionally, um, although sometimes that is the case. But in this last phrase of this prayer, we are expressing to God that we want to be delivered from evil, that the ways in which we harm ourselves and harm each other, harm this earth, harm God, 
that we don't want to live into those things, even if we, part of us, does want to live into those things. Um, I believe this last phrase is a cry for help, knowing that we will not always want to do to or choose to carry out all the bold statements and requests in this entire prayer. It is an acknowledgement um, of our limitations, of our humanness, and is a plea for God to bring back, bring us back to an alignment with God's heart, God's ways, and God's mind. I believe it is an acknowledgement that there is evil in this world, and that at times each one of us, knowingly or unknowingly, participate in it and perpetuate that evil. And it ends the Lord's Prayer by declaring our intention and our desire to instead live out the rest of the prayer while also owning up to the fact that we require God's deliverance and God's help in order to do that. But what does that look like? How do you how do you do that? Um, what, so I want to look at the components of this prayer. The first component is, and lead us not into temptation. What does it mean for us to be tempted? What are we asking God to keep us away from? I think temptation is often very narrowly defined as the things that we want to do that we know are bad. So it's Eve wanting to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, knowing that that's the only fruit in the entire garden she can't eat. Um, it's us wanting to send a nasty, nasty email to a person um, who you feel like has betrayed you. It's wanting to lie on your resume to get the job that you want. It's wanting to eat a whole thing of ice cream when really you should eat a serving or none. Um, <laughs> It's wanting to steal. It's wanting to cheat on your partner. It's usually, um, we usually make temptation about something that is fairly cut and dry, pretty easy to know what it is. But I think, um, in reality, that temptation is a lot more complex and a lot more slippery and elusive. Uh, temptation can be in many forms. It's not just what you are wanting to do that's bad, but it can be a desire to act um, when you should remain still. It could be a desire to do nothing when you should act. It could be the urge to remain angry in the midst of an invitation to forgive, as Aaron talked about last week. It could be a pull to repeat old harmful patterns and behaviors in relationships, partly because you are at a loss for how to move forward and do something different. I want to define temptation for us as any time when we individually and collectively or part of us wants to do, does not want to align with the heart, sorry, does not want to align our hearts, our thoughts, and our actions with the heart, mind, and ways of Jesus. I'll say that again since I stumbled over. I, I want to define temptation um, as any time when we do not want to align our hearts our thoughts, our actions and behaviors with the heart, mind, and ways of Jesus. This can be a conscious choice that we are making or something that we are completely unaware of. And that when we give into temptations, that is when we are kind of stuck in this evil and in need of deliverance. 
Temptation is not just wanting to do. It's tied to our emotions. It's tied to our beliefs. It's tied to our heart. It's seeking motivations and desires that don't align with the heart of God. Um, It's also tied to wanting to believe things that are contrary to the truth of who we are, who God is, who others are. It is a feeling, feeling drawn to be motivated by jealousy and anger and rage, greed or hatred. It is also experiencing urges to do things that, like ignore injustice or cheat someone else for your gain. Um, in the book Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, um, it's, uses, it's this book where he has this demon mentoring another demon on how to tempt, basically and how to lead us away from God. And um, Lewis, C.S. Lewis describes how the work of evil is, is to distort pleasure. Um, so in this little snippet, um, the demon is writing to a demon that he is mentoring, and he says, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure it is, in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy, that's God, Um, enemy's ground. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker, and least pleasurable. In ever-increasing craving an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. I think this is it's kind of a reverse <laughs> of how we normally look at this, but I think this is a great kind of description of what happens when we are tempted. Temptation is this dynamic play between our needs, our desires, our relationship, our heart, our mind, and our soul. And temptation is this pull, this nudge, this prod, it pokes us from all directions and urges us to choose that which will harm, kill, or destroy us. It takes pleasure, it takes good things and twists them and changes them to the point where they are no longer good. So to pray, lead us not into temptation, is to be honest about the ways in which we want to take healthy longings and desires of our heart, mind, and body to a point where it is no longer pleasurable and will in some way lead to harm for ourselves or others. It is acknowledging that whether the temptation is big or small, um, whether we are aware of it, being active in our lives or not, we all experience temptation. The second component of this prayer is, but deliver us from evil. I believe this part of the Um, phrase is an acknowledgement that although we do not want to be led into temptation of heart, mind, or deed, that many times we choose ways to live our life that are contrary to God's kingdom and his will. It is a confession of our struggle to fully embrace God's heart, mind, ways, and ways of Jesus, and is asking God to help us find a different path a path to begin to live in accordance with God's kingdom and will in aspects of our lives where we currently feel bound to our temptations and familiar paths of harm. 
This doesn't mean that we are going around intentionally harming ourselves or each other. <laughs> um, instead, I think that we are often unaware of the ways that we are not living into God's kingdom and into God's will. And that could be for us, it could be for our neighbor, our partner, our friend, our coworker, fellow students, our city. I think oftentimes we just feel stuck or angry or frustrated or maybe a little off. Um, we're one, we wonder, why do I keep doing this? How do I keep getting in this situation? Um, or why does this keep happening to me? I think more often than not, the things that keep us tied to evil, that keep us bound, are deep within us. It often is connected to a story of harm, to a moment or even years of neglect or abuse. Or maybe it's connected to a relationship where you felt like you were not enough or maybe too much or both at the same time. Untangling these stories, untangling these places where we are bound to evil, where we are bound to tempt our temptations is difficult. It's confusing. It's, it's oftentimes you're like, I don't understand. If I could get out of this temptation, if I could get out of this struggle, if I could get out of this place where I feel bound, I would, but I don't know how. It requires a cooperation our cooperation with the work of God and what God is doing in us, the ways that God is attempting to deliver us. So that sounds great. Um, yeah, who doesn't want to feel more free in their lives um, from the temptations, from evil, from the things that keep us bound? I think we all want to, at some level to feel that freedom. But how do we do that, um, practically speaking? How do you live out this phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? How do you even recognize the places where you're bound? Sometimes we don't even know. How do you recognize our temptations? How do you recognize the familiar patterns of harm? being played out on an individual level and a collective level. And once you know what those things are, how do you break those patterns? How do you stop doing what you don't want to do or what you sort of want to do, <laughs> but you don't have a better option? Um, I think in order for us to answer that question, we must cultivate, cultivate a life of listening, of honest reflection, and response. If you've been around here at all <laughs> for longer than a week, um, you will have heard us ask a couple questions. Um, you will have heard us ask, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? For me, those are very simple and practical ways for us to pay attention to God and to how God is working to deliver us from our temptations and the places of, of where we are bound to harm, bound to evil. I want to end today by sharing with you a tool that those questions are based out of. Um, Tracy, could you 
pass those out in just a minute. Maybe not yet, sorry. Um, so I'm going to share this tool with you that hopefully um, by participating in this tool on maybe today can just kind of be an introduction to it, but I challenge you to kind of use this tool um, on a regular basis in community with each other. Um, and hopefully this can be a way for us to begin to, to recognize and acknowledge and see where we are tempted to continue to participate and perpetuate evil in our own lives and the lives of others. Hopefully it will grow our ability to listen and to reflect honestly about what God is doing, what ways God wants to lead us into freedom and lead us out of temptation um, and deliver us from evil. And hopefully, as a result of doing this practice together, using this tool, we can attempt to live out this bold and daring prayer that we have journeyed together over the last few weeks. So I'm going to have you do it at the very end. Sorry. <laughs> I see you ready to go. Uh, <laughs> okay. So this tool is called the Learning Circle. This is not something I created. Uh, it was developed and pulls from a lot of different resources, but it was developed by a ministry called 3DM Ministries. And I'm just going to kind of walk through what this, this tool, how to use this tool. So in the Learning Circle, this line represents the life, uh, represents life, you walking along a path. Um, now you can just kind of go with me. I know that life is not a straight path. I know that it doesn't look that nice. Um, <laughs> just kind of go with me for a minute. As we go through life, there are moments, positive and negative, that stand out to us. Maybe it's an interaction that you had that you can't seem to let go of. You just kind of keep replaying it over and over in your head. Maybe it's something that you encountered in your life that left you kind of confused. Like, what just happened there? That felt kind of weird to me. Um, maybe it's a big happy moment, like the birth of a child, or a marriage, or a new job, or start of a new relationship. Maybe it's something really big and happy. Um, or maybe it's on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe something horrifying has happened to you. You experienced a trauma, a death of a loved one, a cancer diagnosis, or betrayal. We walk through life, and there are moments on a daily basis that are, f are pregnant and full of importance. Um, we have the choice to ignore those if we want. So you can kind of hop over that little X. That X is something that happened. That's called, we're going to call that a Kairos moment. I'll explain that in a minute, what that means. We have the choice to ignore that Kairos moment, to, to go over that important moment that seems like it's holding something important for us, and we can kind of go past it and just go on with our lives, not pay attention to it. Or we can pause and we can say, you know what, this moment, uh, this Kairos moment feels important. So I'm going to pause and do some thinking about it. I'm going to ask myself some questions and interact with some people around it. Um, the reason we call this a Kairos moment, um, there's two different types, or there's multiple types of time. Kronos time is chronological time. So that would be, uh, I woke up this morning, and then I showered, and then I ate some breakfast, and then I finished my sermon. So those are the, <laughs> that's, that's truth. Um, so 
that's chronos time. Kairos time is when we mark time because it's important. So it's a, it's a moment that feels uh, like it has some heft to it, some weight to it. It feels like there's something there that needs to be explored. So we call those moments that we hit Kairos moments. And Kairos moments, Mike Breen, um, one of the developers of this learning circle, he says, Kairos moments are God-given opportunities to enter into a process of learning kingdom living. And this is why I feel like this um, is a way for us to live out the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer is so much about God's kingdom and asking God's kingdom to come, asking God's kingdom to be a reality here in our lives as it is in heaven. And this is a way um, stopping, instead of kind of ignoring the Kairos moment and going over it, stopping it, stopping and pausing and reflecting on this Kairos moment as a way for us to, to enter the kingdom um, in our lives. So you can, go, you can go ahead and ignore it, or you have the opportunity to enter what is called the learning circle. Um, it feels kind of mechanical as I explain it. It will feel odd and definitely mechanical as you learn how to use this tool. Um, but at this point in my life, I don't even think about it. I kind of just do it. Um, so when you enter the learning circle, there are multiple steps. Um, the first thing that you want to do if you want to kind of reflect on what's going on is that you observe what has happened. So this, during this step, is you kind of look at, okay, I was going along life, and then something happened. What happened? Who was there? What did I do? What did they do? Um, it's noticing what's going on, noticing how you feel, noticing what your body felt like. Um, noticing what you're thinking about. What were the circumstances surrounding this Kairos moment? The second step is moving into reflection. So if, those, if that's what happened, the second step is then what, why did that happen? Why did it happen that way? Um, it's being curious and wondering um, why you felt the way that you did, why you reacted the way that you did, um, and why you might be in the situation that you were in in the first place. <laughs> um, the, th the third portion, a third step, is to discuss what you're observing and reflecting with other people. This can be a hard, harder step. It's especially me as a five. I can think and reflect all day long by myself. <laughs> um, but this portion is inviting someone in. It's living into that you'll never walk alone. It's reflecting on your life with someone else and getting their input, giving them permission to speak into your life. Um, it's an opportunity to be exposed. <laughs> I don't like that. Uh, but it's an opportunity to share your needs, to share your shame, your struggle, whatever is in that Kairos moment that you're starting to observe and reflect. It's an opportunity for someone else to be in that with you. The next step is to plan. This is kind of taking what you've learned from the first three steps about what was happening in that moment and respond to it. So it's trying to figure out um, 
okay, here's what, here's what I understand happened and why it happened, and then here's how I want to respond. Here's how I want to do something differently. Here's, maybe in the first part, you're recognizing a temptation that you had in that moment, and now this plan part is how, how do I want to live in freedom instead of giving into the temptation? How do I actually want to be delivered from that, that temptation and that evil? Um, so it's coming up with small and actionable steps that you want to take. Not like a grand, like, I'm never going to do this again. It's, I'm going to do this in the next time I see this person. I'm going to call this person. I'm going to make this decision and take this action instead of what I would normally want to do. This, the next one is account. This portion recognizes that you can't do this alone. So again, bringing it back to someone else and saying, this is going to be hard. I want to do this. This is what I've been doing. That's what I realized in this Kairos moment. Instead, I'm going to try something new, but that's really hard to do. And so we need the accountability. We need people in our lives who are cheering us on in that, even giving us ideas how to do it, checking in on us and saying, how did that go? How did that conversation that you didn't want to have go? <laughs> um, and then the last thing is to act. It's finally time to take your plan, take the things that you have decided to do and told others about and put it into action. I'm going to give you an example um, from my life because this feels very abstract and theoretical and mechanical. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, a couple months ago, I had a family member diagnosed with cancer. And um, that's been a roller coaster of emotions and things going on in my life because of that. A few weeks ago, I um, got an email from this person asking if I could come help them during their time, their time of radiation. They have to do six weeks of radiation. And they didn't ask for the whole time. They just said, hey, if you can, if you can come and help, that would be really great. Um, it's something that we kind of touched base on before. But they, they emailed me with some details and asked if I could come. My response was to drop everything, uh, to quit the job that I'm starting in the fall, to quit the things that I'm trying to accomplish in my life and the responsibilities that I have here in Seattle and to go across the country, kind of blow up all of my plans, quit everything, and go for the entire six weeks, stay longer if I need to. That was my first response. Um, it was this pull, this urge to just drop everything. No matter what consequences that would have for me. Um, so I kind of, that gave me some pause. Um, I was like, why? I think this is a very generous thing that I really want to do. And I want to be there with this family member. I want to go and help and do something practical. I feel helpless here. But why did I go way above and beyond what they asked me to do? Um, that was my Kairos moment. 
I was like, there's my question. Something is a little off with my response. I think the heart, the desire to help is good, but there's something in how I want to go about doing that that seems there, like there's something that God wants to do there. So I decided to not ignore it. I maybe ignored it for a little while. Um, but I eventually decided to not ignore it and went into re- observe. I kind of noticed what was happening in my body, what was happening in me. I journaled. I wrote down the things that I was feeling, why I felt that urge, um, what, what that urge was, the urge to just drop everything and go. I also noticed that I wasn't being asked to drop everything and go. I noticed that that was not the request that was made. The request was not for me to give up my goals, to give up what I am doing in life and go the entire time. Um, I noticed that I felt kind of panicky and felt kind of shaky and desperate and frantic. Um, Not things that I usually associate with like just being generous and kind and caring. I noticed that my response seemed a little bit extreme um, and that although um, the desire was good that maybe the way I was going about doing it might be wrong. So then I moved into reflection, and I kind of started to ask why. Why did I have this initial response? Why did I wrestle with this urge to blow everything up for an entire weekend? And I couldn't let it off my mind. And without getting into like any of my details, uh, the details of that, I basically what came it came down to is I realized I was playing out a long-standing pattern, one that has been there for as much of my life as I can remember, where it was encouraged and where I felt like it was my needs don't really matter, that everyone else's needs come before my own, and that if someone else has a need that they've expressed to me, I need to go above and beyond or it's not enough. Um, If I am not hurting and in pain, then I have not done enough. That's what I started to realize about kind of this pattern. Um, And the only reason I realized that is because as I began to observe and reflect, I started to discuss. I talked to Tracy, and I was like, I feel like I'm going to explode everything, and maybe that's, I texted her, I was like, maybe that's not great. Um, And I talked to my friend Sarah for a long time about what is this desire? Um, What's, what is this, what desire in this is good? and not a temptation, and what is a temptation to harm myself or to harm others? Um, and it took some untangling. It took about a week, two weeks, to really figure out what's going on. And in the end, I asked myself, um, can you go to the next slide? I forgot to basically do this. But on this side, the observe, reflect, discuss, we're basically asking the question, what is God saying to us? And we're trying to listen and be honest. And so I, I, I was doing all of that. And basically, I was like, what is God saying to me? I think one of the things God was speaking to me is that I don't have to give up my own life, my own needs, in order to be a generous, kind, and caring person. And that I can consider my needs and still be generous. God was inviting me to a fuller way of life, to something better, 
for me, but also not denying who I am, that I really like to come alongside and help other people. So that was kind of what I came to this conclusion of, what is God saying to me? So out of that, um, I moved to the next question, which is, what am I going to do, do about it? What am I going to do with this revelation of, and this invitation for something better for me? So I began to plan, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to blow everything up. I'm going to continue on with my plans as they are. But I'm going to try and make some arrangements for me to be gone and go help my, my relative. And then I told people. I told the people I already, already been in conversation with, here's what I'm going to do. And I've so far been able to stay true to that. Um, so that's, that's how this can look in life, is you run into something, you pause, and you kind of go through this process with each other within community. Um, so Tracy, if you could hand those out. Um, I know I've gone long, and it's late. Um, so I'm not going to have you do this now, but this is the learning circle. I invite you to this week pay attention to any moments that might feel like Kairos moments. Maybe this week all you do is you jot down on this sheet of paper or drop down, jot down somewhere else a Kairos moment. Say, oh, something might be important here. Maybe that's all you can do this week. Um, but I invite you to kind of go enter this learning circle and not ignore it. Maybe start to write down what you're observing about that. Maybe you start to write down what you're reflecting, and then take the step to reach out to someone and talk to them about it. Um, and ask yourself, what is God saying to me about it? And once you kind of determine that, that may, some Kairos moments are like a quick one, and it's like I processed it in 15 minutes. Other ones have taken me years, and I still feel like I'm on this side. <laughs> um, So I just invite you to start using this process. Pick one Kairos moment this week and start to enter the circle with it. Um, pay attention to where God is nudging you, where he, what's troubling you, and, and process it. So that, that is my challenge for us today, um, is let's become a people who can enter this prayer this bold, vulnerable, beautiful prayer of the Lord, Lord that the Lord taught us um, by paying attention and being honest and responding to what God is saying and doing. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.